of being authentic, being genuine, and especially in concerns to our faith. So let me ask you a couple of questions. I have some thoughts. And you tell me, this is sort of that response sort of thing. Would you say that Taco Bell is authentic Mexican food? Some yes, and most of you said no, right? I agree with the majority of you. It's not authentic Mexican food. Now, here in Texas, we can argue about what authentic Mexican food is because we have Tex-Mex, which is, in my opinion, not authentic Mexican food. But you get the idea, okay? How about, how about this one? Doriner schnitzel. Is that authentic German food? It, what is that? <laughs> okay. If you go to an authentic German restaurant and you order schnitzel, it's not going to be a hot dog. Okay? I'm just telling you flat out. Doriner schnitzel, schnitzel is not a hot dog. So it is sort of surprising. We sort of accept it. We, we maybe we, I don't know who dreamed up that name, but um, it's not authentic German food. Okay? Now I have in my hand here, a million-dollar bill. If you think it is authentic, you are in for a lot of uh, extra information, okay? Now, this is a track sort of thing. It's the idea because it, I don't even know what a million-dollar bill looks like. But if you know what a million-dollar bill looks like, you can let me know. But I can tell you this is not authentic. You can take this and go right next door to the donut shop, and you will get absolutely nothing for it, Okay? except for maybe a really weird look. So it's not authentic. But authentic is something that's worthy of acceptance, belief, conforming to basic facts. Another word for authentic would be genuine. And so what about your faith? Is your faith genuine? Is your faith authentic? Is it an imitation or have you really been touched by the power of God? In the book of Galatians, Paul, who's the author, is writing to a group of churches in the area of Galatia, which is uh, in what we think of as modern-day Turkey. And he's writing to them. And at the beginning of this, he's talking to them about genuine, or, uh, genuine faith or not following a different gospel. You see, the Galatians had this difficulty where others were coming alongside and saying, in order to be authentic or genuine or the real gospel message is Jesus plus this other stuff. Now, let's be real clear. The gospel message is simply this. You and I are sinners. The result of our sin is that we are spiritually dead. And no matter what we do, we still are sinners because we cannot do enough good stuff to make up for the bad. But then the good news, that's what the word gospel means, good news. The bad news is that spiritually we're dead, and according to the Bible, we're headed to hell. But the good news is that Christ died being fully man, fully God, born of a virgin, lived a little over 2,000 years ago, in perfect fulfillment of the Scriptures, died in our place on the cross. And that's what we celebrate or we remember on Good Friday. That He was perfect without sin, and He was our substitute or in our place. 
And that three days later, he rose again from the grave, which is what we celebrate on Easter. And that those who have expressed faith in him can be forgiven of their sins and have new life. That we are no longer in bondage to our sin, but we've been set free in Jesus Christ. And that's the gospel message. It's not that plus something else. It's Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to continue to look at this morning as we look at 2 Galatians, Galatians chapter 2, beginning here in verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. So after 14 years, again, if we just go up a couple of verses in 18 and 19 of chapter 1, he says, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. So is there a contradiction here? No. When Paul first encountered Jesus Christ on the road to Emmaus, or excuse me, on the road to Damascus, he then went for three years off to Arabia and then continued to minister. And then 14 years later, he went back to Jerusalem. So it's two different events. Okay, This is most likely what we find, find uh, later on in the book of Acts where he went up again. So in Galatians, the point is the gospel came by revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, there were those that were saying, well, Paul, what you're teaching is, well, it's got to be connected with this person or that person. And what Paul is saying is, I personally had an encounter with Jesus. Have you personally had an encounter with Jesus? You see, we, we live in a culture where we talk a lot about denominations and churches and this thing and that thing, but the essential, the authentic thing is, have you met Jesus Christ? For me personally, it was in the back row of a Catholic church when I became a born-again Christian. You might say, how can somebody in the back of a Catholic church become a believer? I don't know. I just say that God did that. Somebody else, it might be in, it, walking in the desert or on a mountaintop in another country, maybe in their bedroom. For somebody else, it was a, a crusade sort of event. For somebody else, it was maybe it was a small little country church. It doesn't matter. Is Did you have an encounter with Jesus Christ? And that's what Paul's talking about here. He's continuing the same thing, that the gospel is not contrived by man. If you're a follower of the news, you've, there's a little bit of a news thing about the Mormon church recently because some of their leadership is trying to decide whether or not to change some of their theology, some of their thinking. Well, let me tell you this. What we're reading is a book that's a little over 2,000 years old, the book of Galatians, and the theology has not changed. Mankind has sometimes made things difficult, but then again, when we look at the Bible, we see, if we go all the way back to the book of Genesis, we see the same problems of man. Pride, immorality, and it's the same things that we have in our culture today. We might think that we're so far superior to somebody that lived in the old days because you've got an iPhone. Well, you're not that smart. Sorry. We have the same sort of problems that they had back in Jesus' day, back in the days of Moses, back in the days of Noah. The problem is our own hearts. And God wants to do a radical work within our own hearts. So the point of Paul here in Galatians is that the gospel message is from God, not from man, not from churches, not from this person. Now, God uses people. And I believe God wants to use you 
to share the gospel with somebody else. But you're sharing not your, your sort of secret message. You're just simply sharing what God has said. Can you share your story, your testimony? Absolutely. Your story, your testimony is one of what? This is what God did in my life. I just gave you a little brief thing. I said I was sitting in the back row of a Catholic church, and God met me right there. And that's what we're talking about, is what God does. And so again, the gospel message is not a different gospel. It doesn't change by what the culture is like or what age we're in. It's the gospel message. And so Paul says, after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was where the church had started. If you're a Bible thumper, a Bible student, you know that it was the day of Pentecost, which happened where? In Jerusalem. Peter and James, two of the founding ministers, we might call them the apostles, were in Jerusalem. And so Paul goes up to Jerusalem. For what purpose? Well, let's continue on here. He went with Barnabas, and he also took Titus. Before we get to why Paul went to Jerusalem, let's take a moment and look at this individual named Titus. There's a book in our New Testament called the book of Titus, but there's something significantly more about Titus. What we see is that he was a remarkable man, an associate, a helper, somebody who assisted Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we see that Paul referred to Titus as his brother. Are you that sort of person in somebody else's life that somebody feels that close with you, a family type of bond because of your relationship with Christ? I hope that you have many brothers, many sisters in the Lord. He, he in one point, says that he has no peace when Titus is gone because Titus would travel for Paul and there would be times where he'd just have an uneasiness because his buddy wasn't there with him. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6, Paul also was comforted by the coming of Titus. Are you that kind of person that when you show up, people go, oh, good, I'm glad she's here? Or are you the opposite? When you show up, people go, oh, no, I can't believe he's here. May you and I be that type of brothers and sisters that we bring comfort. What sort of comfort do we bring? We bring the comfort of Jesus Christ. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul shows how much he trusted Titus, that he gave an offering, money to Titus, and said, Titus, I trust you. Here's the money. Go take it to the city of Jerusalem. What a wonderful thing. Unfortunately, not every person that you encounter is trustworthy or worthy to carry funds for you. Unfortunately, we all have had stories of somebody in our lives that we thought we could trust with something, only to realize that they demonstrated they weren't trustworthy. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, again, a little bit later, verse 16, he says that Titus had some, the same earnest care that filled the heart of Paul. Not only was he a trusted, we might say, administrator or a bookkeeper, not only was he a brother, not only did he bring relief when he showed up, but he had the same care that Paul had for the churches, which is a tremendous thing. You see, you and I ought to be like a Titus, somebody who's trustworthy, somebody who's like a brother or sister to somebody else, somebody who brings relief or comfort to others, but then have that same heart of care for what's going on in somebody's spiritual walk. 
Again, shamelessly plugging you to invite people to come to Easter church. It's not so much, we want this church facility to be filled, but it's not so much about that as much as it is about them having the right relationship with God. Do you have that sort of heart? Does your heart break when others are doing things contrary to God? Does your heart heavy because somebody doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? It ought to be that way. And then we ought to step out in faith and say, hey, I'm going to start praying for, maybe it's your coworker, Maybe it's an aunt or an uncle. Maybe it's a neighbor. I'm going to start praying for them. And then asking the Lord to give me an opportunity to invite them to church. Invite, them to share, invite you to share the gospel with them. And then one last uh, verse in Titus, chapter 1, verse 4. Paul, who's the author of Titus, called Titus a true son in our common faith. Do you see here that Titus was authentic in his faith? Titus was a genuine or authentic brother in the Lord. Titus had a real relationship with Jesus Christ. May you and I be that sort of person for others. May we have <clears throat> excuse me, a genuine care and concern for their spiritual well-being. Here in verse 2, he goes on to say this, and he went up to, went up to Jerusalem by revelation and communicated to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, least by any means I might run or had run in vain. Here, Paul reveals why he went up to Jerusalem. And it's most likely what the event that we have in Acts chapter 11. And if you want to know more about Acts, come back tonight, 6 o'clock. We're going to do an overview of the book of Acts. But what we see here is that Paul went up to them to share with them, not so much to get their approval. He's been doing ministry for 14 years, but he's saying, look, this is what God has done. And he goes back to confer with them. It's the idea of comparing notes and saying, yep, we're on the same page together. You see, at the time of this, there was a contention, started a little bit earlier in Acts chapter 10, about what to do with these Gentiles. You see, you may not realize it, but Christianity was birthed by Jews. The first converts were Jews. Newsflash, Jesus was a Jew. Okay? And you say that you love Jesus, that means you love Jews. Shame on anybody who has a hatred or animosity towards Jews. They need the Jesus Christ just like you and I do. But in the early church, there was a great contention. You may recall in Acts chapter 10, Peter reports back to the church and he says, Look, I don't know what happened. All I know is I saw this vision of a sheet coming down, told me to go to this guy's house. I went to this guy's house. I hardly got to say a word. And then the Holy Spirit showed up on them and they became believers. And by the way, they weren't Jews yet. I don't know what to do with this. And eventually they decided, you know what? If God works this way, then let God work this way. But you see, in the area of the Gentiles, or excuse me, of Galatia, there were those that were coming back after Paul had shared the gospel and said, well, you know, in order to be really spiritual, you have to be a Jew first. In order to be a Jew first, you have to be circumcised, which is the removal of this foreskin. Now, 
if you're a young baby, when all Jews, all Jewish boys were baptized on the eighth day, so it wasn't a big deal to them. But if you're a grown man, that's a big deal. It's a huge deal. But what they were saying is you have to add this to your faith. It's something like this. I remember years ago, I was working at a restaurant, and somebody asked me if I was a Christian. They're trying to evangelize me. And I said, yes, I'm a Christian. And they said, well, what church do you go to? I said, Cornerstone Fellowship. This was in San Diego. And they said, well, that's the wrong church. You have to go to the Church of Christ, and you have to be baptized in our church. I'm like, what? No, it's about a relationship with Christ. Ran across somebody else, but even before that, and we were co-workers, and they said, are you a Christian? I said, yes. And they said, well, have you been baptized in the Spirit? Uh, at that time, I was a brand new believer. I didn't know what in the world that meant. I said, I don't know. They said, well, if you haven't baptized in the, in the Spirit, and you, if you don't speak in tongues, then you're not a Christian. That's not what the Bible says. The gifting of spiritual tongues is a tremendous gift, but it's not a requirement for you to be a believer. Do you understand that? It's, do you have faith in Christ? Now, it's, a law, it's one of the many spiritual gifts. And I'm not trying to diminish speaking in tongues, but I'm saying this. In some circles, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not a Christian. In other circles, if you do speak in tongues, you're not a Christian. And so we get so confused by adding these other things. And Paul is just simply saying, look, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that he is fully God, fully man, and he died in your place for the forgiveness of your sins. That the guilt of your sin was placed upon Jesus Christ. And that now you by faith are a brand new Christian. Brand new person in Christ. That's the gospel message. That's it. It doesn't need to be. And it needs specifically not to be complicated. You don't know Jesus plus you have to know Greek or Hebrew. You don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, plus you have to do these things. I'm not suggesting that knowing Greek and Hebrew is wrong, but it's not essential for your salvation. It's a wonderful blessing to know the biblical languages, but it doesn't change whether you're saved or not. And that's what Paul is addressing here. So he, he says, look, and I didn't do this publicly. I didn't do this sort of like as a big show. We didn't have a big uh, sort of debate in front of everybody. What I did is I went privately. I went privately to Peter and to a select few other leaders, and I said to them, this is what I've been sharing with people all around the known world. In the book of Acts, we have recorded for us a number of missionary journeys that Paul went on. And Peter and James and others said, praise the Lord. That's exactly what God is doing. And that's what we're called to do. And when the phrase here that I had run in vain or had... Uh, that I had, it's not so much that I, he thought maybe he had the wrong gospel as much as he didn't want to have to be fighting fights with other Christians. You see, we need to be on the same page. And the same page is the gospel, Jesus Christ. In America, we have all kinds of denominations. But you get out to other parts of the world, and those denominational lines seem to fade away. And it's more about, do you know Jesus? For example, if you're in Cuba or if you're in India or if you're in Mexico or other places, it's do you know Jesus? Not just the facade, not just the name, not just the image, but do you know Jesus? Well, I'm a Baptist. Oh, that wasn't my question. Do you know Jesus? 
Well, I'm a Pentecostal. That wasn't my question, is do you know Jesus? And if you don't know Jesus, let me introduce you to him. That's authentic faith. Now, we all have our differences, and that's okay. Some of us may be more like, more of a liturgical a choir and robes and that sort of thing, and that's all right in our form of worship. But are you in love with Jesus? For In some circles, it's much more about religion than a relationship with Jesus. And I would say that's also wrong or false. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Where we live in this portion of the, our country, there are many people who have a form of religion. In other words, they go to church, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Easter is a wonderful time to introduce them to the idea of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, I'm a member at this church. That's fine. But do you know Jesus? Well, I go to this church. Wonderful. But do you know Jesus? It's not trying to steal people from other churches. It's introducing them to Jesus Christ. And that's what we ought to be about. That's what we ought to be about. Verse 3. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. What's his argument here? They wanted people to be Jews first, and the outward sign of being a Jew first was to be circumcised. And Paul says, look, Titus came with me. The leaders of the church, Peter and James, they accepted Titus. And by the way, Titus was Greek, but he never got circumcised. In other words, he's saying to the Gentiles, or excuse me, to the Gentiles and the Galatians who were in the area of Galatia, those who have been telling you you have to be Jewish first, circumcised, notice this. Titus went with me. Peter never said to Titus, hey, you got to be circumcised. So that's the whole point. This idea of putting on Judaism first in order to be a Christian was debunked simply by the experience of Titus being there. Titus was a faithful man. We already looked at that. He was a brother in the Lord although he was not physically circumcised. He didn't have to become Jewish first to become a Christian. And sometimes we run across people that have their little isms. Well, in order for you to be a genuine Christian, you have to do this first or that first. You've got to go to summer camp before you can be a Christian. No, you don't. Be a Christian today, okay? Well, it's got to be an evangelistic crusade and and you got to, you know, it's got to be Billy Graham. Well, Billy Graham's dead. He's home with the Lord. So today is the day of salvation. Or it's got to be this thing or that thing. No, just simply come to know Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. So although there were false brethren trying to add to the gospel, add to things, it's about knowing Jesus Christ. Verse 4, and this occurred because false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth, stealth excuse me, to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Do you understand in this context, being Jewish first was bondage. And here's the idea. There are those that would like to add to the gospel message, but they do it secretly, and they want to put you in a legalistic or moral bondage. In other words, in some circles of the world, 
if you smoke, you can't be a Christian. That's not what the Bible says, but some would say, if you are genuinely a Christian, you have to quit smoking. Matter of fact, you have to quit smoking first before you can become a Christian. That is adding extra bondage. Others might say, well, in order to go to church, you've got to put a jacket on, a coat, a suit jacket, or put on a dress. And That's wrong. Come as you are. Sometimes people ask me what our dress code is. And my answer is this. Yes, put on clothes. That's our dress code. Put on clothes. Okay? If you want to come in a suit and tie or a nice dress, praise the Lord. If you want to come in cutoffs and shorts, praise the Lord. But please do put on clothes. We do ask that. But it's not about what you look like on the outside. It's what Jesus is doing in your heart. One of the problems of Easter, it's a great opportunity to invite people to church, but one of the problems with Easter is the outward appearance that sometimes we want to put on. I have a, I don't have an Easter dress. Please don't misunderstand me. But sometimes people think, well, this is my Easter dress that I have to put on for Easter, or my Easter hat. I don't have an Easter hat. I don't have an Easter dress. Okay? So I'm not going to show up on Easter Sunday in a dress. I promise you. I'm not going to show up on Easter Sunday with a dress. But sometimes we think, oh, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. The idea here is we need a relationship with Jesus Christ. But we need to beware that when somebody says to you or to me, well, you're a Jesus follower, wonderful, but let me introduce you to this extra secret special thing that you need to have. Ignore them. Because that's not the gospel message. Can we grow in our relationship with Christ? Absolutely. There is so much in this word that you and I can grow in, not only intellectually, but following in our hearts. We can literally spend a lifetime and not dive into all the depths that are right here in your Bible. Yet at the same token, it is so simple that you can talk to a three-year-old in our children's ministry and lead them to faith in Christ. And it's, you might say that's a dichotomy. And yes, it is, but that's the gospel. It is so simple. Will you ask Jesus to come into your heart to forgive you of sin? But then the Bible goes on and on. It talks about this grace of God, the, the growing in the knowledge of Christ Jesus, to know the love of Christ. And that's much more than an intellectual knowledge, but it's a knowledge within our hearts to follow Christ, grace upon grace. Again, we can spend a lifetime studying the Word of God and never feel like we've got it mastered. I hope you don't ever feel that you've got this mastered. If you do, come talk to me, because I'd love to know how you got it mastered. I don't have this mastered. And, And borrowing a phrase from somebody else, I can't remember who said it, it's not what the Bible says that I understand that troubles me, or what, it, what I don't understand that troubles me. It's what I do understand that troubles me when I have a difficulty living it out. You see, we're called to be authentic Christians, which means that we live with other people endeavoring to be a Christian in front of them, loving them when they misuse us, caring for their spiritual souls even when they don't really give a darn. That's what we're called to do. And Paul is saying here that people snuck in. They didn't announce. In other words, they didn't put a a Facebook post up. Hey, I'm a false prophet. Come listen to me. 
Instead, they subtly brought in lies and deceptions. And that's why you and I are called to be students of God's Word. One of the things that Paul talks about in the book of Acts is that the people in the city, the small little city called Berea, that he says that they were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they searched the Scriptures daily to see if what the great apostle Paul was saying was true. That's, so it's fine, and I encourage you to search the Scriptures to verify that what I'm saying is true. And if ever there's something that I say, maybe I missay something or you don't, are confused, that you are welcome to come talk to me and say, hey, wait a minute, I don't understand this. And we'll reason together, but we'll use the Word of God as our resource or the measure of what is truth. So that's what we're called to do. And again, there were those that were sneaking in the church trying to bring people under their bondage. I shared with you the idea of some folks from the Church of Christ coming to me and saying that I had to go to their church because their church had the name Christ in it, the Church of Christ. And so that was the one and only legitimate church, according to them. According to them, I also had to be baptized in that church. And I just flat out tell you, there are wonderful brothers and sisters in the Church of Christ, but you don't have to go to their church. You don't have to be baptized their way. You should be baptized, yes. You should go to church, yes. But have faith in Jesus Christ. And literally, it doesn't really matter whatever is on the front of that church building or if they meet in a strip mall next to a donut shop. It's okay. Okay? And by the way, just for you to be sure, do you know what Calvary means? Skull, place of the skull. Chapel is a place to gather. So really, if you want to get down to it, we're saying that we are the place of the skull where we gather together. Okay? It's not really a pretty name when you think of it that way. But, but when you meet Jesus Christ, it's life-changing. Excuse me. Verse 5. To whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. He says here, look, these false teachers came in, but I didn't yield to them even for an hour. In other words, it's not so much that Paul was trying to be confrontational. He just refused to compromise the gospel truth. And that's where you and I need to be like. Refuse to compromise the gospel truth. When somebody says to you, I'm not sure that Jesus was a real person, but they say, I'm a Christian, you're welcome to say to them, that's wrong. Jesus was real. If you Again, if you follow the news, just recently this past week, they discovered an artifact, a little piece of pottery that had an inscription on it from a person, one of the kings, before the Jewish temple was destroyed, before the Babylonian captivity. You see, critics of the Bible have been saying the Bible isn't true because we don't find any names in any of the stuff that we find, the archaeological stuff we find in the ground. Well, this past week, they discovered one of the names of a Jewish king before the Babylonian captivity. By the way, we already know that. It's already here. It's right here for us. It's not a new discovery for us. Others, this is an old discovery, but you may recall that there were critics that used to say the New Testament has to be wrong. It has to be made up because we find no historical evidence of a guy ever named Pilate, Pontius Pilate. Until again, they dug up 
a portion just outside of Jerusalem, and they discovered a, a stone tablet that had a decree, and it was signed by Pontius Pilate. And all of a sudden, critics of the Bible have to be quiet again. So you see, the Bible is real, but it's not about the archaeological facts. It's about, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you have authentic faith in Jesus? Over in 1 John, he gives us a list. This is the Apostle John. He gives us a list of things that I want to point out to you about being authentic Christians or being authentic in your faith. So in 1 John chapter 5, it says this, beginning in verse 13. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So John says, I wrote 1 John that you would know that you have eternal life. So what are some of those things that he wrote about? How about this one? What, I know, what does, I don't know. <laughs> what do, what do we, uh, what do's? I don't know, my grammar is really bad here. It's my own notes. Yeah, my goodness. What do you do or say? Does it reflect your genuine or authentic faith? Okay, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. If we say that we have fellowship with him, in other words, you say that you're a Christian, but walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In other words, if I say, hey, I'm a Christian, but I'm sleeping with my girlfriend, guess what? The Bible says I lie and don't practice the truth. If I am doing or participating in something that is obviously a sin before the Lord, and I don't feel any guilt about it, and I justify it, then I'm not genuinely authentically a Christian. Following that, do you acknowledge your sin? All of us are sinners, whether you like it or not. Let me be honest with you. I'm a sinner. I wish I wasn't, but I am. Do you acknowledge your sin? In 1 John 1, 1.8, it says this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Unfortunately, there's even in this Dallas-Fort Worth area a ministry that claims that once you become a Christian, you're without sin. I'm sorry, that's not genuine, authentic, biblical truth. You and I are sinners. We're saved by the grace of God. Not that we can continue indulge in sin, but that God might transform us. But we need to recognize, the next verse goes, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us. Do we do things God's way? Is it your intention to do things God's way? In your marriage, in your children, uh, in your family relationships, with your finances, with your time, are you endeavoring to do things God's way? 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. Now by this we know that we know Him. How do we know if we know Jesus? Because we keep His commandments. In other words, in our lives, we're endeavoring to do things God's way. When God says not to hold on to bitterness and anger, guess what? I need to let go of that bitterness and that anger. When God's word says I'm called to forgive somebody else, I need to forgive somebody else. When God's word says not to be anxious, but to pray, guess what I'm supposed to do? I'm supposed to pray instead of worrying about everything. And on and on, there's a long list of things. And how about this one? Do you authentically love God's people? 
Now, let's be honest. There are people, even Christians in our lives, that rub you the wrong way. It may not be intentional, but they just do. But do you love them with the love of Jesus in spite of those differences? It says to us here in 1 John chapter 2, verse 9, He who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. There's no room for you and I to hate another Christian. I understand if they're a fan of a team that you don't like or they're into this thing or that thing, that we might have differences of opinion, but we're called to love them. You are called to love what you consider to be that unlovable person. And if you have hatred in your heart towards them, guess what that says about you? That you haven't had an authentic, genuine experience with God. You haven't connected with God. Or you've allowed that connection to break because of that bitterness or that hatred. One last question. Do you love the things of this life more than you love God? Do you, verse, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, this is not to say that you can't have a favorite sports team or that you can't say, well, I love my children. But here's the rub. Do you love God more? How do you know? Let me ask you this. What do you spend your money on? What do you spend your time on? That indicates where your love is. When you have a free moment to think about stuff, what do you think about? That indicates where your love is or where your heart is at. And if you're loving your finances more than you love God, or you're loving your family more than you love God, or you're loving your career or your hobby or your friends, more than you love God? In other words, if your thought process goes something like this, I would be more authentic or more in love with Jesus, but my friends would probably disown me, so I don't want to be too radical for Jesus. Then that indicates that you love them more than you love Jesus. If you say, I, I, I would do more for God, but I have to have my relaxation time. I just bought a lazy boy, you know, with a built-in cooler next door and everything else, you know. <laughs> I've got to take advantage of it. And if you're saying, I love that more than inviting somebody to come to church, then you're saying your lazy boy is more important to you than your relationship with God. And on and on the list goes. What do you spend your bulk of your money with? For some of us, I just, whatever money I have just goes to rent and to food, and that's it. Okay. But what else do you spend your money on? Well, I would give more to the church except I've got to do this hobby thing or I've got to save up for my vacation or save up for that thing. Then you're loving those things more than God. Well, I don't have time to be involved with church. I don't have time to go to these Bible studies and this thing and that thing. Then what you're saying is that you love God more than that. Now, some of you work at different times when we have studies. I get that. I'm not trying to put a, a guilt trip on you. I'm just saying the choices that you make on a day-by-day -day basis indicate what is the master passion of your life. Somebody that is authentic 
in their relationship with Jesus Christ, their master passion is Jesus. I know that we have to go to work. I know that we've got to cook. We've got to do laundry and do these other tasks. I understand that. But what's the master passion of your life? What's the thing that you love the most in your life? Is it Jesus? Then that's an indication that you're authentic in your faith. But if it's not, if it's a hobby, if it's friendships, if it's family, then that indicates those things are more important to you than your relationship with Jesus. And this morning, I believe God is calling each of us to be authentic in our faith. So again, do you love the things of this world more than you love God? Do you authentically love God's people? Do you desire to do things God's way? Do you acknowledge your sin? Does what you do and say indicate that you have authentic faith in Jesus Christ?